Hello, hello. I'm Valentina, the Empress of Product at Klaus, and we have another episode of Fireside Chats with Klaus and Valentina lined up for you this week. Once again, we are taking on the hottest topics in customer support. Our guest for today's episode is Andrea Badgley, a happiness engineer at Automatic. One might think that a fully remote, fully distributed team would barely notice the impact of a pandemic. But as our chat with Andrea goes to show, even they've had to overcome some novel challenges in recent months. Enjoy the recording. Okay, let's start with what's your name and what do you do at Automatic? Sure. Um, I'm Andrea Badgley and I am a happiness engineer at Automatic. Um, I'm, I do live chat and uh, customer support but I also have been lately helping manage our contractor team. We have hired contractors to help us with, with language support other than English. So we provide support in uh, eight other languages, but not, not full-time around the world. Um, and so we have, we have contractors that we work with for that language support. And so I've been managing that program the past few weeks, months. Okay, and how do you train? Because Automatic is completely uh, remote, so I suppose the contractors are also uh, distributed. Um, how do you do the onboarding? Like, how do you get them up to speed if you can't like have them sitting next to you to learn from you? The contractors are all over the globe, just like the full-time automaticians are. Um, so we train them in Slack primarily. So we have... Um, we have self-guided training documentation internally that they have access to. So on their first day when they start, they will go through the training materials that we've prepared and they, we pair them with a buddy who is a full-time happiness engineer who is there to answer questions as they go through the self-guided training materials. And so the first week, They'll go through all of those materials. They'll do a lot of reading. They'll try out the different tools that they have access to. And they'll ask in Slack when they have questions. And then the second week of their training, they are still paired with that same buddy. And they'll do paired ticketing in Slack where the, their buddy and themselves will arrange a time that they'll be at, on Slack at the same time. Um, the buddy will pull tickets from from our email uh, system and share a link in Slack and they'll look at the ticket together and the buddy will ask, how would you answer this? And so then they'll talk through the answer, talk through Slack, uh -huh. uh, through text, not on video or anything. Um, and then the person who is training will provide a draft response that the happiness engineer will go through with them and then they'll send that response and so they'll do that for a couple of days they'll have a, a couple of sessions that they'll meet and then um, we set the new hire loose in the queue <laughs> and uh, the buddy will will pull tickets that they've done throughout the week and in the coming weeks to review those tickets and go through um you know, the things that they did well, the things that they may have missed and that sort of thing. And that's the same way we uh, train and onboard new hires as well mm -hmm. with both happiness engineers who are going to be doing the job full time and also 
any new hire to automatic who does a simple hmm. rotation as soon as they begin their job. Okay. So I suppose the buddy will be in roughly the same time zone because at that point you do need like a kind of synchronous communication to do these draft answers. Exactly. Yes. So we have a buddy coordinator who will look at the time zones of uh, who the hire is and when they'll be working and then who we have um, in support who can be there around those same hours. And who probably speaks the language because if this is the, the foreign language support, I mean, you need to yes. need somebody who can understand the answer that's about to be sent out. That is correct. That's a, that's a key component because <laughs> the and tickets I, are coming in in that language. In that language. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's also one of the, because it's one thing to find somebody out of, I don't know, 300, 500 happiness engineers that speaks English is very easy, but to find somebody who speaks Spanish is probably easy. Italian is not that easy in Dutch. Then it gets kind of complicated. Mm -hmm. Smaller the language. That's so right. how do you how do you uh, give that feedback once this initial um, phase where really every single ticket is reviewed? How do you maintain the feedback loop? So the the lead for the language group for those contractors uh, during the first four weeks reviews tickets, and we use Klaus. Um, Prior to moving all of the contractors to Klaus, people did it in a variety of ways. And, and some people still do in a variety of ways across automatic. Mm -hmm. um, some teams use Klaus, some use Google Forms, some just use a, a doc, a shared Google doc where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll pull a ticket and give some feedback. Um, but so in the first four weeks of a new contractor being on board, the buddy will use Klaus to review five or 10 tickets per week. And we've set up a whole uh, rubric that we actually, our whole support team for um, all of our product lines, which is more than 300 full-time happiness engineers, um, have created a rubric for quality, you know, the things to look for in each ticket. And mm -hmm. so we're doing that with the contractor support as well. And we've set that up in Klaus. So the language lead will use Klaus to randomly pull tickets for a contractor. And they'll do that every week for four weeks. And then after the fourth week, we want the contractors to get involved in reviewing each other because mm. they'll learn more from each other that mm. way. Um, and see, you know, the different styles that, that each other use and mm -hmm. uh, especially dialects come into play. And so maybe in one dialect, you know, a certain form of punctuation is used, which uh -huh. isn't in a different one. Um, and so after the fourth week, the contractors use Klaus to pull random tickets from their language group hmm. and, uh, and review each other's tickets. And then the language lead, this gets very meta, <laughs> reviews the reviews because we're also helping uh, the contractors learn how to give and receive feedback. Uh -huh. And so the, the happiness engineered, the lead job becomes twofold. They're looking at the responses and the tickets as they review them, but they're also reviewing, hey, you could have caught this or you did a good job of giving feedback on that. You know, I like how you added a comment here um, to explain what you meant. That That's how we're trying to get uh, the experts of the happiness engineers looking at at the, the tickets to make sure that, that everybody's doing everything 
right to get everything out to the customers mm-hmm. um, while also getting the contractors involved and seeing each other's work. Mm-mm. How do you, like, what do you think is more difficult, giving feedback or receiving feedback? I would say giving critical feedback is hard <laughs> for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, across the board, uh, contractors and happiness engineers alike, I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable feeling like they're throwing a colleague under the bus, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we actually found that the thumbs up, thumbs down, binary uh, grading evoked too many emotions. Mm-hmm. And and people didn't feel comfortable giving a thumbs down because it felt so... Uh, it felt negative, like this yeah. is just bad, you know? <laughs> and so we actually moved to a rating scale instead. Um, and we, and this is one of the things that we're coaching through the reviews is you're helping your colleagues by giving that hmm. feedback because what if you've been doing something wrong for a year and nobody told you? Yeah. And then you find out and you're like, why didn't anybody tell me I wasn't doing this right? I think presenting it in that way helps people understand, oh, I'm, I'm helping my peers if I give them feedback about things that could be done better. But I would say that's harder. I've seen mostly gratitude on the receiving end. Um, I haven't gotten a lot of feedback from, from contractors or happiness engineers that um, they don't like getting feedback. I think mm-hmm. everybody pretty much appreciates it because then they do learn how to improve Hmm. but on the flip side giving that feedback (laughs) is hard it feels uncomfortable do you coach that somehow like how do you teach people apart from the whole mindset that you're helping we do we coach for language uh how to Hmm. present you know i don't like calling it critical or negative feedback I, i like just thinking of it as feedback you know this is this is something that went well, this is something that could be done better, this is, you know, you're on the right track here, Hmm. Um, maybe add this in next time. So that's one of the things that we do try to coach on is words to use um, to help present what might be felt as negative feedback or Hmm. criticism, um, to present it as a, a positive in the future. It's a growth opportunity more than right downer, yeah. right? Um, you know, of kind of showing the end product of doing it well for mm. the customer. This is what it will feel like for the customer if you do this instead. Mm. Um, so it it focuses more on the behavior. Hmm. And, the and it focuses it focuses maybe more of the why of the feedback. Like this is actually not about you. It's because we want to make the customer happier. That's the end result that we are looking for. And the feedback is basically just the tool that we are using to get to that. And I guess tone is especially interesting there because you're not talking to the other person. So like body language is completely out of the picture. You can just like be kind with your words. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is pretty fascinating to, to think about it all uh, over text. And, and part, of, part of giving feedback to each other is we, we can use emojis you know, and we can of use course. gifts and we can use when we don't have that body language and uh, any kind of anything to add what would normally be seen in facial expressions or yeah. body language. Um, 
I try to use in my communication. And mm -hmm. I would say most most of the people I interact with do that as well. That's also why the hiring process is completely written as well, right? We don't trial the contractors the same way we would trial full-time happiness engineers and the hiring process for that, the interview, everything is done through text. And mm. for that exact reason that you just said that that's the way we're going to be working. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and that's the way they're going to have to work if they, if they join. And so uh, that's a way to see how comfortable is this for you? Um, mm. Is this a good fit for you? Is it a good fit for us? Mm -hmm. Because this is how we work and every part of it is done through text. It's not only about can you write good enough to be like helpful in this company. It's also are you okay with writing everything down because mm -hmm. there's not many people who will go on a quick call because they might not even be in the same time zone. Right. So it's not all, life is not only feedback. How do you do social in such a big team and spread out over so many cultures, countries, time zones, etc. We're composed of lots of small teams. Teams, a small team being anywhere from eight to 16 people. And so a lot of the socialization, I would say, happens kind of at the team unit level. Mm -hmm. So each team will have its own internal blog, its own P2. Uh, each team has a team call every week which will usually be via video. Mm -hmm. um, each team has its own Slack channel, usually private, where they just goof off and, you know, Slack off together, <laughs> using lots of emojis and GIFs, of course. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of socialization happens at, or socializing happens at that level. And in Slack, we have a lot of water cooler channels across the company. And on the P2s, we have water cooler channels. And by water cooler, I mean... They act as the water cooler where people mm -hmm. would hang out normally in an office. There's a gardening channel. There's cats channels. <laughs> there's always a cat channel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, a lot of people find others like them in those different mm. uh, types of channels. We also have monthly town halls for the mm. whole company. And since COVID happened, we have also started doing more company-wide Uh, more social type gatherings. Um, mm -hmm. Like there's a toddler hour where oh. all the at work, you know, kids are welcome. They're, there's uh -huh. an hour long Zoom and kids are in and out and, uh, and it's just parents hanging out mm -hmm. on video. And it's not just parents, anybody's welcome. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> anybody who wants to hang out in a video call with <laughs> anybody who wants to feel super children. grateful. <laughs> So normally we would do meetups, um, but obviously nobody's traveling now. So that's yeah. the other, I would say, huge component of, of doing uh, team building and socializing and getting to know one another when we don't see each other mm -hmm. in the same physical space. But now that we're not traveling, we're not doing those meetups. And so <laughs> we're trying to move as much stuff online mm -hmm. as possible, which we already had almost everything online, <laughs> but mm -hmm. now we're doing a lot of those um, social activities online as well. 
I think it's very often underestimated that how much of an impact actually seeing somebody physical, even if it's just every half a year, has mm -hmm. on the connection you have. It's like it starts the connection or it reinforces the connection, and then you can go half a year without seeing them. But at some point, you kind of need to share a meal again to like kickstart this again. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, the part that's most difficult to actually replicate mm -hmm. over, over video. Yeah. I mean, We, we do ladies' night at Klaus, but it's, it's not the same as sitting in a bar and having that wine together. So. Right. Do, do you know when you're going to... Are, are you going to have any meetups in 2020 or, or are all of those already out of the window? I think it's unlikely that there mm. will be any travel in 2020. Mm -mm. I think there's just too much uncertainty mm. uh, and too many... Too many unknowns, again, being global, you know, some countries yeah. may have different uh, approaches, approaches to quote unquote opening up. Uh -huh. um, but even in countries whose uh, governments may be willing to mm. open things up, that doesn't mean that individuals necessarily feel safe mm. traveling. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be... A while. You would think that a company like Automatic being fully distributed since day one would not be super impacted by a mm -hmm. pandemic like this because everybody is remote anyway. So like, mm -hmm. what's the big deal? But then again, like suddenly you have toddlers at home mm -hmm. or like you miss all of this social stuff because I suppose that it's something to look forward for. Like in mm -hmm. two months, I'm going to see my team in person. And now there's like, the uncertainty doesn't really make it easier and right. people respond very different different to uncertainty. Yeah, I think most people, even though everybody's sad about not being, well, I shouldn't say everybody, <laughs> most people are sad <laughs> about not uh, having the opportunity to see each other and, and travel. Travel is a burden to a lot of people though. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, even though most everybody I think is sad to not be able to see their colleagues hmm. at the same time everybody understands and hmm. doesn't want to be at risk but in terms of how the pandemic has affected us support is exploding i mean you know hmm. we we do websites and a lot of <laughs> a lot of businesses are suddenly moving online hmm. uh, because they can't have, have to presence yeah, yeah they have to and so um so we are there for them, uh, but our support volume has definitely increased significantly. Um, and, you know, so we are still working the same and very fortunately are set up and have always worked this way. So, mm -hmm. and we've seen, you know, increases in volume before, um, but there is that added component of different working conditions, hmm. even though I'm still in the same office at home that I've always been in, my husband's home and my kids are home. We're all using the, the bandwidth, you know, um, the kids are doing school online. My husband's working from our bedroom. Hmm. So nobody ever has, I mean, we're fortunate because we have doors that we yeah. need. <laughs> That but makes a big difference. It makes a big difference, but I don't have toddlers. I have teenagers, you know, yeah. and so a lot of a lot of people who are very comfortable and used to working at home 
suddenly have their their work environment has changed drastically despite them being in the same place we're still going and uh fortunately our human resources and and the whole company understands that you know these are very different working conditions and is very supportive Um, one of the things that we are doing as a social gathering team cohesion type activity is um Coursera has a is offering their science of well-being course for free. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's always free, but it's free right now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as a company, if you want to take it, there every week we're going to have a uh, an hour long group where we're going to talk about the course. Oh, like a book club, but with a course. That's yep. pretty. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, so that I think our first meeting will be on Monday. So I started hmm. taking the course. It's basically the science of happiness. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool because it's something that it, it's productive and positive focused in a time that's very challenging. Mm-mm-mm. Which other other tools do you recommend for people who are suddenly stuck at home? Basically. Whatever tool is easiest for you to use and provides the least friction is probably the tool you should use. For example, for quality, we tried multiple tools and part of our assessment was how likely were you to use the tool because Mm -hmm. it was easy or hard. Mm -hmm. And for us, like I said, we have the internal blogs, which we're all used to. We have Slack, which we're all used to. for sharing communications that maybe Slack's not the best format for, we want editing or we want revisions, we use Google Docs. Um, mm. Slack is kind of for synchronous or conversation, like pre- Pre-write it down. <laughs> pre-write it down, exactly. A Google Doc might be something that we use for forming something into what we want to be a finished product. Um, huh. So, you know, if it's something that's important that needs to be really uh, thought through and thought about from a lot of different angles, we might put it in a Google Doc and then have several people review it Hmm. to get to a finished product and then put it on an internal blog. That would be more for like announcement posts or um, kind of decisions Mm -hmm. that need to be made. But there's also a lot of, we do a lot of internal blogging that's just, it doesn't have to be a fully thought out, fully fledged mm-hmm. uh, product to publish it on one of the internal P2s. Um, do you use any kind of to-do lists or something? Or is that more like a personal decision? Everybody does whatever works for them. So for onboarding, we do use a checklist on our P2s. So we've created an on onboarding checklist for These are the things that the new hire or the the happiness contractor is responsible for doing. And then it lists Mm -hmm. out all of their training materials to look through. And then they Mm -hmm. check them off as they do them. Um, There's a checklist for the buddy. There's a checklist for the uh, hiring team and the operation Mm -hmm. team for granting different access levels, for inviting to different tools. Um, And so... For onboarding, all of that will be in a single post welcoming that person Mm -hmm. to automatic, you know, and and then we'll go through that checklist and check everything off. Um, Mm. 
like for the contractor support, we have an operations P2 basically mm -hmm. that in the menu will link to here's the directory spreadsheet. Here is here are the stats that we look at. Um, mm -hmm. Here's a template for the onboarding post. Here's what a trainer needs to do when we have a new person training. Um, and so each team or each project or each program will have its own project management type mm -hmm. blog, basically, where we'll keep all of the things together for that, mm -hmm. that particular team or that particular project. And so, so yeah, if you're looking for, you know, what is the, what are the contractors doing Tumblr support? Where's all the stuff I need for them? Then you would mm -hmm. go to the Tumblr contractor P2 and you'd find all the links that you need. Very, it sounds very well organized. And it also sounds like a lot of information to wade through when you're just starting. <laughs> yes, yes, that is that is definitely uh, a challenge for both full-time automaticians and the contractors. Uh, since contractors have limited time that they give, they're not full-time employees. Uh -huh. We do try to narrow it down and streamline as much as possible. What is mm -hmm. the most important thing that they need to know um, to do the and job. And if not, ask your buddy. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> who, who might not answer, but probably direct you where you have to, have right. to look. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you very much. 